I want to tell you that after nine years of full-time itinerant ministry, nine years of traveling, um, preaching, um, being an evangelist, sharing the present word of the Lord that I feel like the Lord has laid on our heart, and then we would share that. Um, I love to preach. I love to teach. I love to worship. And that is what we have done consistently on the road for nine years. Um, every week in a new place, um, sometimes new five places in a week, literally just going at a very rapid pace to share the gospel, to encourage the body, um, to fulfill the need of spurring one another on um, in the good news. And so this has been our life. This year has been a very different year for us, as you can imagine, being completely stopped and slowed down. We have spent um, almost the entirety of this year, with the exception of three services, three revivals, we have spent the entirety of this year in Louisville, Kentucky. It has been an incredible blessing. In the slowdown, the Lord has spoken so clearly to my spirit that the call has been refined in my life. And this thing that has been happening in my life with prayer and intercession for the last five years has culminated to something um, in addition to corporate, uh, in addition to individual prayer and intercession. He's really brought us to this place where we embrace and see the critical need, especially in this hour but always the critical need for corporate prayer and intercession. And so this word today is springing forth out of the current thing that the Lord is saying in my life, how he is refining this call, this thing that we've been doing. Um, and so I want you, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be, we're going to look at four verses today. Um, and they all talk about this. They all talk about, of course, prayer. They all talk about intercession. And this morning, um, we're in Matthew twenty-one thirteen, Mark eleven seventeen, and then we're going to refer to a couple Old Testament passages um, that Jesus himself was referring to. I'm going to choose to read the verse. Matthew twenty-one thirteen and Mark eleven seventeen are actually the same account of Jesus' conversation, and you will recognize this account as he has had the triumphal entry, as he's entered Jerusalem, and as this, this Palm Sunday event took place, and you know we understand, all of us on this call, the importance of that triumphal entry, as they were shouting, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Jesus heads straight from that entry um, back to Bethany. Literally, he's not hanging out in Jerusalem in, this, in the evening, in the nighttime hours. He's, he's leaving and going back to Bethany. And then he's coming back during the day. And so he's had this triumphal entry. He goes back to Bethany. And then the next day, he comes back to Jerusalem and heads straight to the temple. Now, here he is heading to the temple, knowing that the cross is so very present before him. He understands the criticalness of this hour. And so with a heavy heart focused on the cross, he enters the temple, which we know up until this point he has pretty much avoided Jerusalem, looking at it from afar, declaring, Oh, Jerusalem, how I desire to draw you to me like a mother hen 
draws her chicks unto her. You see, his heart, and I think we have to get a picture of how Jesus is healing in this moment because it makes these words super critical. His heart was hurting for the fact and the lack of relationship with those he came to save. You see, he wants to love on. He wants to draw himself and draw those in Jerusalem, not the, the entirety of the body, the, the, the religious leaders alike. He wants to draw all these people to him who he cannot have relationship with because they are rejecting him, yet these are the people he came to save. And so he is burdened in his heart for this people. And so here he is knowing how close the cross is before him, coming into Jerusalem after the triumphal entry, coming into the temple, and what he sees in Mark 11, 15, 16, and 17, is he sees the money changers. He sees those doing business in the temple. He sees those who work in the temple, who... um preside over the temple, who visit the temple. And what is the temple? It's the church, right? It's the church. And so in 17, this is what he says. Um, he, he overturns the tables and he says, he began to teach them and he says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. Now, all of us on this call are affiliated with the awakening that comes from the prayer conference with Pastor Corey Jones. We're all affiliated. We're all very much aware of this verse because this is the verse that so many churches and so many pastors and so many people right now are talking about. We need to make our churches a house of prayer. And you guys, this is so true. And this is my heart's call and my heart's desire as I share that the Lord is refining my call. We have turned River City Hope Church of the Nazarene in Louisville, Kentucky into a house of prayer. And we've created a prayer room to minister unto the Lord and to intercede for a people in a city and a church and a bride in that place. This is the foundation spiritually and scripturally of this call that the Lord is refining in my life. And it's really important that I share it because it's not a call just for me. It's for all of us. And you on this call, I know you all. You have been endeavoring to make your churches, your families, your places of worship a house of prayer. I know that you have. And you have based it, too, on this verse. If we break down this verse where Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. He is actually quoting in, in both accounts in Matthew and in Mark. Jesus is quoting two scriptures out of Isaiah and out of Jeremiah. You see, Jesus knows the scripture. He knows the prophets. He knows the Torah. He knows the word better than anybody could because he is the word. And he is referring to Isaiah 56 and 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. Let's, let's actually look at those verses. In Isaiah 56 and 7, the word of God through the prophet Isaiah says, Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house 
will be called the house of prayer for all the peoples. And so the first part of that statement in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus is referring to the scripture in Isaiah 56 and 7, where he says, my house of prayer, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And so the Lord intended his temple, his church, his, his expression of corporate gathering, he completely states that the purpose of this place is a meeting place with him. We know that's what the temple's for. None of us would argue that point. And Jesus reiterates it in this moment where the cross is ever present before him and he's longing to have relationship with the people who are rejecting him, yet he knows he's dying for them. These are those he came to save. In this moment of burden, in this moment of the cross, here he is declaring this truth. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Not just now in this moment, but even in the Old Covenant, this was the purpose of the house. Prayer. And what is prayer? Meeting and communicating with the Lord. Ooh, hallelujah, I'm about to get excited. The second half of this verse that Jesus is quoting, he says, but you have made it a robber's den. That's not just a side note. Literally, he's quoting another prophet. It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7 and 11 says this, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I have seen it, declares the Lord. So this verse in Jeremiah seven eleven calls the house, has it become a den of robbers? Okay, so that word in the Hebrew, robbers, is actually a Hebrew word called, let's see if I can get this right, parit. The Hebrew word robbers in Jeremiah 7:11, which is the verse that Jesus is referring to, the prophet Jeremiah speaking this word, the word robbers in Hebrews is parit, and parit means violent men. So let's break this down. Jesus is declaring in this moment, this moment of burden for the people, which really this burden is just pure love. You realize he loves them so much. He wants to have a relationship with them. They reject him. He's still going to the cross for them, even in the moments that he's rejected, which is scriptural because he died for us. Yeah, we were yet in our sin. We were his enemy. They were his enemy. And they're right before him, and he's correcting them, and he's saying, my house shall be a house of prayer. This church, this temple should be a meeting place with the Lord, but you have made it a house of violent men. And so I ask you, are we any different today? You see, are our churches, are our local houses the expression of the bride of Christ in which we meet in week after week, hopefully day after day, are these places the expression of the temple consecrated as a house of prayer to the Lord and a meeting place to the Lord, or have we allowed these expressions to become a house of violent men? You see, I think that today this this is a warning and an admonition from Jesus' mouth himself for us, from the word of God to us, 
it's a very present word. This is a warning and an admonition. Are we keeping our local expressions, our houses, a house of prayer, or are we allowing the world to infiltrate them to become a thing that is more like the world and less like heaven? And I think that we need to be aware of what it is that we are hosting in these houses corporately. We know how important prayer and intercession is in our prayer closet. We know, we know, we've spent time in this. I have. I've lived this. I've, I've, I've sought after this, this one thing I seek. I want to be that that dwells in the house of the Lord. I want the Lord to dwell in me. I want to be the temple, and we are the temple. And individually, we have to be those people who have given ourselves to prayer and intercession, for this is the communication. This is the intimacy. This is the thing that the Word is calling us to Himself. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they agree they're calling us to this thing, but corporately we are still called to this thing. You see, together, as we gather together, what are we gathering in? Are we gathering in a building in the name of the Lord to seek Him, to communicate with Him, to open ourselves up to hear Him communicate with us? Or are we simply an expression of the world which has infiltrated into our churches and now we look more like them and are performance-driven? Are we worshiping in truth and in spirit and genuineness or are we worshiping in performance so that we sound good when we sing and we look pretty? Are we, are we preaching the Word of God from intimacy because we know Him and we've heard Him and we're repeating what He's saying to our sheep? Or are we preaching a Word that's articulate and fun and charismatic so that we look good and we sound good and maybe we'll be famous one day. I know this sounds petty, but really the motive matters because God looks at the intention of our heart. And so why are we gathering? What are we doing in our houses? I know that you on this call, I know what your endeavor is because I know your heart. You see, I understand that you guys want your churches to be a house of prayer. I understand that you guys on this call are seeking his presence to abide in your house, in your house of prayer, in your church, in your local expression of the bride. I know what you're seeking, but what about those around us? What about the churches around us? Those that we pray for, the bride, the body of Christ, needs this prayer needs this admonition. We have to be those that are so convinced. I have to be that. That's my call, to be so convinced that every church become a house of prayer, that we not be a house of violent men or a den of robbers. You see, it's the thing that keeps us from being violent men, prayer. You see, corporate prayer and, and personal prayer and corporate intercession and personal intercession keep us from becoming the violent men or the people of the world. You see, it's the thing that sets us apart from the world. It's what makes us peculiar because it's the vehicle of relationship with Jesus, and that's the difference. 
We are those in right relationship with Jesus, and prayer and intercession is the vehicle that keeps that relationship. We cannot have relationship with our spouse if we're not communicating with them. There is no relationship without communication, and it's the same with Jesus. We cannot be those that house the Lord if we're not communicating with Him. We cannot be those in relationship with Him if we're not in prayer and intercession, because without communication, there is no relationship. And we have to be that way as a corporate people. And this is a bit uncomfortable for some, but the truth is we can't gather together in the name of the Lord and have a laundry list of prayer requests that we bring before him and say, Lord, hear our prayer. We can't do that. That's not prayer and intercession. That's not communication. That's talking at the Lord and shooting up a list of requests like a genie in a bottle we expect him to grant. But there's a serious missing link in that kind of prayer and its relationship. And remember, everything is relational because that's why Jesus came, to restore that which was broken. What is that which was broken? It was Adam's personal an intimate relationship with God the Father. That which was broken because of Adam's sin and disobedience was relationship, and Christ came to restore that which was broken, which is relationship. And it's always all about relationship. We don't pray off religiosity because we're, we're aware of it. We're aware of the tradition and the spirit of religiousness that's overcome our churches. We are. But we don't just pray that off and cast it out. The thing that we do is we pray it off, cast it out, and enter into relationship. Because the only thing that comes against the spirit of religiosity is the spirit of intimate relationship. And so we as a people have to corporately come before the Lord in prayer and intercession. We have to be hungry for this thing, pastors, leaders, intercessors. We have to be hungry for this thing because it's contagious. When we're passionate about it and we're sure of it and we're on fire for it, those around us will embrace it. But just like our passion is contagious, so is our apathy. And so if we care not for prayer or we gather in Jesus' name for the sake of gathering because it's what we've always done, that too will be contagious. We have a calling. It's not just my calling. It is my calling. Oh, my word, it's my calling. I'm embracing it with both hands and my whole heart. And I'm running after this thing for all I've got because that's what I do. When I hear a word from the Lord, I obey. Some people call it stubbornness. I call it tenacity. Are you tenacious for your call? What is your call? Is the Lord refining your call? Because let me tell you something. He doesn't want me to just go after this thing. He wants me to share it. And that means it's somebody else's call too. Otherwise, he wouldn't call me to share it. And so I believe in this hour, he's calling all of us to this thing. Our churches must be houses of prayer Houses of prayer, not houses of violent men and people of the world. This call must be embraced both individually in our prayer closet and corporately in our corporate prayer rooms. It has to be both. We have to know him in the secret place and we have to know him together with those in the bride and the body. In embracing this call, I have seen 
the enemy raise up in so many areas. And I want to give you this warning as we step into embracing this call wholeheartedly. And it's not a warning that means don't do it. It means I just want you aware of what's coming. I knew what was coming because I saw what happened when I, um, I have a relationship with other people and other places that have endeavored to make their churches a house of prayer at any cost, namely Crossroads, Tabernacle, Church of the Nazarene in Fort Worth, Texas. I know that when they began to press in in earnest corporate prayer and intercession to make their church a house of prayer and to start a prayer room, that things begin to happen. First of all, the things that are hidden come into the light, and that is uncomfortable because in the church, there's hidden things. There's hidden sin. People hold on to certain areas of their life they don't think anyone will know about, and it gets messy real quick. Well, can I tell you, as we started in May, when I got the word from the Lord to begin um, turning and helping River City become a house of prayer and to have a prayer room— Stuff started coming out into the light immediately. Literally, we were maybe a week or two in, and we started seeing stuff bubble up. And it has to, because the Lord is holy, and we need to allow Him to purge and cleanse. And listen, you guys, He is a God of order. He is a God of, of, of knowledge. He's not confused, and He's not chaotic. But our sin makes things messy, and as we endeavored to make our church a house of prayer and in starting our prayer room, here comes messiness from our lives because there's secret stuff that people have. And guess what? The Lord wants to bring that into the light so that we can be repentant people and a clean people because you know we have to pray from a place of holiness and right standing in the Lord. We cannot be intercessors if we have junk in our life that separates we cannot. And it's a kindness and a gift of God to shine the light on that stuff. So in your endeavor to turn your church and your place of worship into a house of prayer, realize that's a real thing. The messiness of sin will be exposed. Hallelujah can be dealt with and gotten rid of in Jesus' name. And there's accountability in that. And the other thing is, just as the Old Testament does not refer much to demonic activity, the Old Testament doesn't really talk about, um, you know, this spirit or that spirit. But boy, when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, we are hearing left and right of all of these people who are possessed, who are oppressed. All of these demonic spirits and demonic activity is raised up. Why do we see it in the New Testament when we don't? see it and hear about it in the Old Testament because the presence of Jesus. You see, in the very presence of Jesus, the living Son of God, the holiness of God, here here he is on the scene, and all of hell has taken notice first. That's the first uh, a realm made aware of the presence of the living God. Just like Jesus' presence made the enemy and all of his demons aware that he was present, they started to rise up. When you are living in the presence of a holy God and you are carrying Jesus and hosting him so well, all of hell is going to take notice. And things are going to begin to start to distract you, start to come against you, 
start to derail you, and you're going to have a tendency in your flesh to want to shrink back. But remember, as Hebrews says, we are not of those that shrink back, but those that continue to press on. Hebrews 10.39, continue to press into the heart of the Father. Shrinking back displeases Him. It's not our goal to displease Him. It's our goal to live in obedience and please Him. And so we press in when it gets hard, and all of hell is coming against us. And can I tell you something? The enemy will use the landing pad of anyone he can find closest to you, and it will be church people. And it will hurt. It will sting. It might be your family members. It will hurt. It will sting because the enemy means to come against you using whatever landing pad he can find because he wants to distract you. He wants to derail you. Why? Because even the enemy knows when you host the presence of the Lord well and when you're pressing into prayer and intercession and turning your church into a house of prayer, he's going to lose territory, and he does not want that. And so he is going to come against you. It will not be easy, but it is still the call. It is still worth it. And there is nothing, nothing like obedience to a holy God. And that's what we're called to, to turn our churches and our homes into houses of prayer, not houses of violent men, not den of robbers, not people of the world. We're called peculiar. We're called special and set apart for a reason. It doesn't matter what the enemy can throw at us. We are a people who understand this. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have one job. It's relationship and obedience to Jesus because we love him. We have no need to fear the enemy or his attacks against us. And I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to be aware this is a warning and an admonition. But you're called. If you felt called before, but you thought maybe you weren't, can I tell you, the call has been renewed. The Lord is recalling and renewing your call to ministry, to make your church, to make your home, to pray your church into being a house of prayer for all people. You carry Jesus. You come in his name. It makes demonic activity act up. But once you see it acting up, you can do what Jesus did and cast it out. Hallelujah. The end isn't that demonic activity acts up and stays in your way. The end is that you recognize it and in Jesus' name cast it out. Hallelujah. The end is that your church become a a, a clean and pure bride. The end is that you raise up with this thing, this expression of the bride becomes a house of prayer and you see this incredible thing begin to happen in your midst you see fruit almost immediately of the prayer you see that the intercession leads to answered prayer so quickly that you're completely convinced this is the only thing you can do the rest of your life i am and i know i'm not the only one And so no matter what comes against me, I don't care if the computer works. I'm going to pray. I don't care if things happen and it would mean to derail me. I'm going to press in and pray and intercede. And on the days when I don't and I realize that I failed, I'm going to get up the next morning because his mercies are new every day and I'm going to pray and intercede. And I'm going to call all of us to do the same 
and to, to make our churches houses of prayer that are set apart with the presence of the Lord and us communicating with Him and communing with Him because that's what He wants for us. And it's not a pie-in-the-sky idea from someone else. It's not just Corey Jones' call to you. It's not just Melissa Wright's call to you. It's not just whoever you've heard talk about this call to you. It's the Word of God calling us to be this way. This was the purpose from the beginning when the temple was created. He wanted a place to dwell amongst men. He wanted a place to have an encountering place, a time where he encountered you in the temple. His church is meant for presence. Presence comes and stays because we commune with him in prayer and intercession. This was the purpose. Isaiah spoke to it. Jeremiah spoke to it. Jesus spoke to it. Today, the call is the same to make our individual temples, our bodies, our our persons, individual houses of prayer, that the Lord would be resident in this temple, in the secret place, in the private prayer closet, and to do it in our corporate church, our corporate house. It's the same. So I hope the call is renewed today for you. It sure has been this year for me. I thank the Lord for the slowdown. I thank the Lord for refinement. I thank you that a call that you chase your whole life can be refined and look very different while still fulfilling that call. He's so good about that. It means growing and maturing, and that's what he wants from each and every one of us. But he doesn't want to just stop with us. We have a call to involve those around us. Our people need to be refined. Our people need to be prayers and intercessors. Our people need to be part of a church that's truly a house of prayer. Can we pray into this today? Can we pray into this that you would have this impartation from the Holy Spirit to burn so hot to make your church a house of prayer and not stop until it's there and then keep it there? Because I believe it's houses of prayer and prayer rooms that win their neighborhoods. I believe it's houses of prayer and prayer rooms that win their territories and their cities and hopefully nations. You see, that's it. We have to pray this thing. We want revival. Prayer is the vehicle by which revival comes in on. In fact, I've said this before. I'll never stop saying it unless the Lord halts me. Prayer and intercession is the back in which Jesus moves the kingdom forward. Everything comes in on the back of prayer and intercession. It's critical. It's foundational. And it's the call. So, Jesus, we press into this word. I press into this word. Father, thank you. Thank you for refining this call. Thank you for setting a fire in us that burns hot and bright. Thank you for calling us by your word. Thank you for Jesus. You quoting Isaiah, quoting Jeremiah, telling us again, this is the way it was supposed to be. This is the way it's renewed to be. That which was broken is being restored. And this is the way it's supposed to be for all time. And so, Lord, we hear that call. Jesus, we hear your words. We accept them. And we say yes in obedience. We love you. And if we love you, we obey you. And so, God, we take this command, and we say, would you allow us? 
a passion to burn with this thing? Would you give us such a burden, Lord, to not stop until we see it come to fruition? And then when it comes to fruition, Lord, keep us a persevering people that would continue to pray and intercede and call our people to become houses of prayer and then to call other people to become houses of prayer and, Lord, to share the message everywhere we go. Because, Father, I still believe that this is the communication and connection and relationship that you're seeking. And so, Father, we just want to answer that by seeking you, too. We want to speak and hear you. We want you to speak, and we want to hear you. And, Lord, we don't want to come to you with a laundry list of things that we expect you to do and then say, uh, Lord, hear our prayer. I'm so bothered by that. I'm so bothered by that. There's so much lack of relationship in that, and that's not who you are. And so, God, we answer this call with a resounding yes. Lord, what, and we understand it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. Why would it be easy for us? We understand that. But, Lord, we're willing to do it. And people around us disagree. When people around us come against us, Lord, we're going to love them. And we're not going to take that hurt and become bitter and offended. Because love is not offended. And so, Lord, we're going to be a people that are motivated by love with a clear passion and a clear focus that you are the prize. You are the prize. And, Jesus, we love you. And so, Father, help us in this endeavor. Help us learn by your word. Thank you for deep revelation that comes every time we press into you. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. You don't leave us orphans. You're a good father. And you take our hand and you teach us and you guide us by your Holy Spirit. You never mean for us to do anything alone. You don't give us our marching orders and say good luck. You tell us what you want. And then we partner with you and you continue to carry us and motivate us by your love so that we can be love to those around us in every part of this thing, knowing we